And just, Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name we pray. Amen. Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory. Yes. Yes. And, and, and like what has already been said, He is the only one worthy. There is certainly none above Him because nothing was made that was made apart from Him. There is none above Him. There is none beside Him. Everything under His feet because He is Lord of all. And He is the one, the only true God. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I made a brief mention of Elijah's encounter with the prophets of Baal. And it looks like we may spend a little more time in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm looking, perhaps we will start Romans first of the year. I'm, I'm just waiting on the Lord here. But uh, we're going to spend a little more time in the Old Testament. And, and today we're going to go back in, into 1 Kings and, and take a deeper look at this encounter uh, of, of, with the prophets of Baal and of the life of Elijah. I'm going to read a, a couple of verses from uh, chapter 16, a little bit from 17, and then in, get into 18, uh, uh, some today. And let, let me just set the background for this account, for this story that we're getting ready to read. Uh, uh, almost everyone remembers David, the the, uh, the shepherd boy that slew Goliath, the shepherd boy who became a great king of Israel. And after David dies, his son Solomon becomes king, and, and Solomon's a, a pretty good king. And, but after Solomon dies, uh, things in the kingdom of Israel gets, gets pretty bad. And, and it's so bad that the kingdom actually splits into two parts. Uh, the, the two kings, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And the setting today is some 60 years after the split, if I could say it that way. And the king to the north is a wicked man by the name of Ahab. And in fact, he was the, Scripture tells us he's the worst king ever, up till this point anyway. And, and that's where I want to start today. First uh, Kings 16 verses 30 through 33. Now Ahab, the son, of, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. There's quite a statement, isn't it? More than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now think about that. This is the king of Israel. Then he, then Ahab, set up a, an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Well, there's quite a statement there too, isn't it? Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. 
Ahab, an, an evil king. And to make things worse, what did he do? He married a Baal worshiper, Jezebel. How bad was she? Let me ask you this. Do you ever hear any little girls named Jezebel anymore? She ruined that name. The only time you hear this name is when? When it's, when it's used in a derogatory way, you see. So they, they built temples and altars to Baal, a pagan god. And together, Ahab and Jezebel leads Israel down a path away from God. Now, God calls a man, as He often does. He calls a man, and He sends this man to Ahab with a message. And, and who's the man? We already know. We've talked about him. Here's Elijah. And, and this, uh, we're, we're going to go into 17th chapter, verse 1. And this is the first mention of Elijah in the Bible. He just pops up out of nowhere. We, we, usually with a prophet, we're, we're told of who his parents are. We don't know that. Uh, we, we know it's going to say, uh, uh, or it, it said that, that he's a, a, a Tishbite. And here, uh, verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these days except by my word. By his word. By Elijah's word. How could he say such a thing? Because he's speaking for God. Because God has called him. I believe God has told him and, and given him this message. And, and so he comes to Ahab and, and he's speaking this message. Now, in my mind, I, I get thinking, well, how? Because it doesn't tell us how that Ahab and Jezebel would have responded. You know, here's this little prophet that comes and has this message. And I can almost imagine this king who thinks he's so big and so great. Oh, yeah, yeah, little man. Yeah, yeah, you're, <laughs> at your word, you're going you're gonna to cause these things. But just, just go ahead. Get on out of here. I don't need to hear this. I can almost imagine something like that. And, and Elijah leaves, but not because Ahab tells him to. He leaves because, because God tells him to leave. And God tells him to go and hide at the brook Cherith because God has a plan, doesn't he? He has a plan. Right? And we know that ravens will bring bread and meat to Elijah both morning and evening, and, and the brook will provide uh, uh, Elijah with water. Uh, we also know, and, and, and just, uh, I'm not going to go into all that today, but a raven was an unclean thing to a, to a Jew. And, and here's a, uh, one guy I read said, and here's a raven bringing roadkill, which was also unclean. And I, I don't know if it's roadkill. He could have been bringing something alive. But, but, but to consider those things being brought, being brought, being cared for. And it doesn't rain for three years. We know from reading James, three and a half years. And we know that the brook dries up. At some point, the, the brook dries up. And I tell you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave chapter 17 for you to, for your homework. There, you can go and, and I will let you uh, learn of the encounter of Elijah and the widow of Azarephath and her son. 
We'll leave that for you and, and do that and do that later. And, and we're going to leave some in, in chapter 18 as well that you would go on to read. But, but we know from 1 Kings 18 that Ahab is now sending out search parties to try to find grass and, and feed for the animals. Doesn't mention anything about finding stuff for the people. Now, as you read that, think about that. It, it, it talks about go find, because we don't want to lose our good animals. doesn't say anything about the people. He doesn't, it, it seems that he doesn't care for them. And, and, and now Elijah, as this goes on and goes on, memory goes back to what this, this little prophet said. And now Elijah's not a nobody anymore. Uh, Elijah's a hunted man, a wanted man. Uh, Elijah's God, the God of Israel, is a hated God. And, and what happened? What does Jezebel do? Again, you know, we'll let you read all this. She goes on a rampage, and who, who does she start killing? The, 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 the uh, prophets of Israel. And then comes the time for Elijah and Ahab to meet again in God's timing. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to go to chapter 18, verse 1. God tells Elijah to go. And so we're jumping forward here. Uh, verse 1 in chapter 18, 1 Kings, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And again, now we're, we're going to go ahead and drop down to verse 17. We'll let you read the in-between about Obadiah and the encounter with the, the things that Obadiah had to say to uh, uh, Elijah. Let's go down to verse 17. Here's where they meet, Ahab and Elijah. Then it happened, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he and Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. So as soon as they meet, as soon as, as soon as Ahab looks out and sees him, well, here comes the troubler now. <laughs> Elijah doesn't hold back, does he? <laughs> because, because think about this. You know, Elijah comes on the scene in the Bible. We've not heard anything about him. And the first recorded thing that we see that God asked him to do was go to the powerful king Ahab and give him that first message. There's something to think about there. Can you imagine that? But he goes in the strength and the power of the Lord and delivered that message. It's not going to rain. And then he goes where the Lord tells him to go. And now he's being called the troubler of Israel. And Israel's in trouble, aren't they? It hadn't rained for three, three and a half years. But who's the real cause of the trouble? They have Jezebel. Ahab points the finger at the one who is used of God to reveal the trouble. <laughs> Does that happen often? I can tell you this, it happened some. I can tell you that. Elijah doesn't hem-haw around he, about the revealing the true problem. No, it, it is you, and he, pre, he presents the word of truth. I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of God. Well, what had been the commandments of God? Let's go read in Deuteronomy 11. What had they been told? Here's what they'd been told. Uh, Deuteronomy 11, verses 10 through 17. 
For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable's garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is the land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. So how is this area? Where does it get its water? What it say from the rain. And it shall be, verse 13, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain new wine and your oil. So what's God's promise? If you obey me, if you keep my commandments, then I'll give you rain. But verse 15, And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived. As you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. God told him what would happen, didn't he? <laughs> and he tells us in his word what will happen. We forget, I guess. There, there's a dangerous thing to, to forget the, the word of God, to forget the promises of God. So he, he said, uh, don't be deceived. Well, Israel had been deceived during Ahab's 22 years. Deception. He brought them into being an ungodly nation and led them away from the one true God. And Elijah, the prophet, comes to to reveal and to talk about the one true God that they have forsaken. Elijah being obedient to God's command, and he was seen as the troubler, the troublemaker. Now let's, let's go on back in 1 Kings 18, verses 19 through 21. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Well, he gathered everybody. Everybody. Everybody's there. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If the Lord is God, follow Him. That, that, that's a message for today, isn't it? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered Him not a word. At this point, they're silent. You know, the, the people of Israel were, were seeking to worship uh, Baal. And this is in direct violation of, of God's command. Let's, let's read in Exodus 20. How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you falter between thinking that you are children of the true God 
but you are worshiping a false god. Again, what had God commanded? Exodus 20, verses 2 through 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So don't make an idol and worship it. That's what he's saying, isn't it? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Is it important to obey God? Yes, it is. Because God is a jealous God. The Israelites were wavering between two opinions, between God and Baal. And now it is, it's choose. It's time to choose. Stop straddling the fence as I've heard so often. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 24? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters, one master, one master. In Revelations 3, verse 15 and 16. I know your works. And here he was saying to this church, he's saying, I know what's going on in your life. I know what's going on in your heart. I know your works. Nothing's hidden from him, you see. I know your works, that you're either cold nor hot. See, here's a church that was trying to ride the fence, that was faltering between two opinions, it seems. I, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You see, it's a serious thing to try to ride the middle ground, isn't it? Do we see that happening today anywhere? It, it seems that it's all around. Rather than standing firm upon the truth of God's Word, that there are many who are influenced by the powers of, you ever hear this, the powers of compromise and political correctness. Oh, but we've got to be considerate of other people's feelings. We've got to, we've got to be tolerant of other people's beliefs and lifestyles. Do we? No. Where, where did that come from? Well, it come from the other side. It come from those who, who, who feel that they're being treated wrongly because of their beliefs. But we must speak the unaltered, inerrant truth of God. Amen? Yes, speak the truth in love. Speak it with compassion, but always speak the truth and hold fast to the truth of God's Word in every situation. No compromise, no tolerance, because God is a jealous God. Is He intolerant? <laughs> yeah, He is. He's intolerant of sin. He is. How long will you falter between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him, and if Baal, follow him. Doesn't that just ring with, with Joshua 24? When, when, when I read that, didn't, didn't Joshua 24, 14 and 15 come to your mind? Perhaps it did. Let's read it. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And there's a message for today. Put away the idols. Put, a, put away the things that are separating you from God. Put away the things that are of more importance to you than God Himself. Put them away. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. And oh, there's plenty of people doing that. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites and those in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, <laughs> we will serve the Lord. Now there's a stand to take, isn't it? Though all around me worship false idols, as for me, I will serve the Lord. Faltering between two opinions. Trying to be, play both sides. The, the Samaritans did this in 2 Kings. I want to read it. 2 Kings, uh, 17th chapter. 33 through 36. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. Oh, there, there's people today that say, oh, yeah. Yeah, I love the Lord. I fear the Lord. I, I revere I revere the Lord. Yet, yet what are they doing? They're serving their own gods. Now they say one thing, but their walk is far different. You know, in the study that I forget who the quote was from that, that talked about. Our, our, our talk and our walk. And, and I remember a little song that, that we heard Mark Trammell uh, Trio saying, Let, you know, your, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. That's, that's a mouthful, isn't it? But, but did you get it? Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Because people... You know, what what you're doing? What you? Everything that we would say and do, you see. Oh, we could say we could say a lot of great things, but does our walk match our talk? You see, they feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from whom from among whom they were carried away. To this day, they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow His statutes or their ordinances or the law and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom He named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them, but the Lord, who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, Him you shall fear, Him you shall worship, and to Him you shall offer sacrifice. Sacrifice of praise for us. 
for those who have been brought up out of darkness, for those who have been set free from bondage, don't serve other gods, but serve the Lord who brought you up out of bondage, out of sin, out of darkness, out of death, with an outstretched hand. Serve him and him alone, you see. So Elijah has come to bear witness of the one and, and only one true God of Israel. That he is the only one worthy of worship. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? He is. He is. And, and God has ordained that there would be a drought. And God ordained that the end of the drought would come and that rain would fall. And God ordained the means by which this would happen. And it's through Elijah. Does God use people? Yes, He does. Will God use you? Yes, He will and yes, He can. And so don't ever think that, that He won't. But, but we have to make ourselves available. We, we have to be serving Him and, and obeying His commandments and, and, and making ourselves where we would follow Him and serve Him and be available for Him to use. And so God ordains the means by which this rain will come, and it's through Elijah. Let's go to verse 22 and 20 through 24 in 1 Kings 18. And Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. Now, he didn't know, but there were some others who were hidden, weren't there? Uh, Obadiah had, had hidden some in some caves, and so he... He, he didn't know. He, he felt like he was the only one. But, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. The, the people who said nothing earlier now have a voice. <laughs> it is well spoken. What were they saying? It, it seems like what they were saying, well, sounds like a fair contest to me. Isn't that what it... Sounds like a fair contest to me. We'll, we'll, we'll settle this once and for all. And, and it, it was already settled. But, but, but here they are. And that's just me thinking here. But it seems like that's, that's how this is coming off. Well, well now we're going to see, we're, we're going to know which God to serve now. And over and over again in their past, they had followed the same up and down and had learned over and over who the one true God was and it seems like okay now we're going to know we're going to keep serving Baal we're going to keep serving Elijah's God <laughs> he is well spoken that's ridiculous Let, let's <laughs> what was Elijah doing he was looking back I, I, I think perhaps and again don't know for sure because we don't know that much about it but but how much of, of of scrolls and scripture was out there from the past that, that he could have known about or that got passed down by word of mouth. Uh, perhaps he was going on the fact that from Leviticus 9. Let's, let's just go there for a moment. 
Leviticus 9, verses 22 through 24. Going on the fact of what God had done with Aaron. Listen to this. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Now listen. Are you listening? Say amen. And fire and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw this, they shouted and fell on their faces. Had, had God revealed himself in mighty ways? He had. He had. Seems they forgot. Seems they forgot. See, the history had, had recorded it for them of what God has done, who the true God was. And so Elijah is trusting God. How many prophets of Baal? 450. 450 to 1. <laughs> he had to trust God, didn't he? He had to. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to think back. Think back. Uh, Gideon's army. How many did it get whittled down to? you remember the number? 300, and they were going against, you remember how many? Now they're going against 135,000 in an encampment. You know, after you know, 125,000 died, and then they, they went after those others. But the 300 went in and, and, and in groups of 100 to encircle that camp. And I told you back then, uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, I said, that's the same odds that Elijah faced at Mount Carmel. You, you take 300, divide that into... 135,000, it's 450. Same ratio. Does that mean anything? I don't know. There's people that always want to put numbers numbers and, and all that. But I just thought it was interesting. The same ratio, 450 to 1. It says, so here he is. So let's, let's keep going. Uh, verse 25. Uh, 25 through 27 uh, in, in chapter 18. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till eve, from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped, <laughs> they leaped upon the altar. Did they have zeal? Yes. Did they have knowledge? No. What good is zeal without true knowledge? Just a bunch of hooey, isn't it? They leaped upon the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them <laughs> and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God either... He is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah mocking the false prophets. Oh, oh, but think of their feelings. No. And they just yell louder. Again, zeal without true knowledge. Uh, verse 28 through 35. Let's keep going. 
So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Of course not. Because Baal's a false god. He is nothing. He is nothing. Wood and stone. And that's all. Verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Let me pause there for a minute. Now, Prophets of Baal, it said they built an altar. And, and now here it is saying that Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Seems to me, and, and I don't know, I, we could talk about this. It seems to me that there was an altar to the Lord that was up on this mountaintop prior. But it had been forgotten. For 22 years it had been forgotten. And so now what does Elijah do? Gather around. Let's repair the altar. That's, that, that's a statement right there. Let's repair, the, let's repair this broken altar. And, and Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, fill, fill, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt offerings and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. I'm just going to pause here if you're a numbers guy again. They did it three times, four buckets. How many was that? That's 12. How many stones? 12. Is, is this all kind of a, just in some way pointing to the Lord? Verse 35, so the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. And again, you may be thinking, where did all the water come from? But because they've been in a drought. Well, remember this, this was probably, and again, I don't know, but it was probably salt water. The Mediterranean Sea was close. So there's a pretty good chance this was salt water because they were in a drought. So uh, I've had people ask me about that. Well, well, how could they just dump all that water when they were in a drought? Well, probably it was salt water. Well, why? Why? Why so much water? Well, I believe to take away any doubt that a miracle was about to take place. Soak it good. Just put so much water on it that water's just running everywhere. You know, it's not going to be a spark off of some rock. It's not going to be because somebody tossed a little match in there when nobody was looking. You see, he, he's taking all of that out of the picture so, so, that, so that they will know, that they will know that this is a miracle of God. <laughs> and he's a, even as I thought about that, I, I believe God has a way of adding water to situations of our life. Do you, you know what I'm saying? To take it into the realm of the impossible of ourself. To know that when he provides a miracle in our lives that we know it had to be him. It had to be him. It had to be him. And it seemed like God had done that quite often. Situations of life. Bringing it down, down, down. Like he did with Gideon. 
down to 300 going against 135,000. And he did it, and he told us as we went through that study that he did it for that purpose so that they would know that it had to be God, that they had to say this wasn't us. There's no way we could have done this. It had to be God. Had he done that with Abraham and Sarah? Brought it down to the point where that they would have to say this was God. Because they, they were in their old age. When, when, when God said that, that she's going to have a child, and this was at the beginning of, of Genesis 18, the, the promise wasn't fulfilled until we read in Genesis 21. And, and there, there are those and some theologians, some people that have kind of looked at that and all, everything that happened in between and said that, that many think there was 25 years transpired between that, that verse 1 where it was announced and, and then the verse where, where it actually happened. So you added even 25 more years to truly make it impossible. See, God, God brings us to that point of the impossible. How about God leading Israel out of Egypt? Took them down to the edge of the Red Sea. Here they come behind them. What are we going to do? We can't face this. A miracle of only God. Only God could do such a thing, you see. Bringing it down to that point. How about when, when Jesus had learned that Lazarus had died? How long did he wait? Three days. He didn't go immediately. He waited three days to bring it into the realm of the impossible. There, there's no way. He has been dead. He has been wrapped up. He's been put in there. If he'd went immediately, had been sent, said, oh, well, he was just in a coma. He waited three days. Took it into the realm of the impossible. And I think perhaps sometimes God does things in our life, like I said, adding water to the situation, bringing even more, more into the realm of the impossible so that when the Lord brings us through it, we can say, it had to have been the Lord. Has that ever happened in your life? We had a situation where it just seemed like, oh man, this couldn't get any worse. And, and then it seemed like it got worse. But I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. And it's got worse. It's got worse. It's got worse. We'll wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Perhaps He is just throwing a little more water on it so that when the fire comes, it's all the more glorious and for His glory. You see that? I, I hope you do. I, and I say just, just to encourage you this morning because perhaps you're going through a difficult situation and the obstacles in your path seem, seem insurmountable and impossible to overcome. But let me remind you of this. Uh, what did Jesus say in Matthew 19, 26? Jesus looked at them and said, With men, this is impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. With God. With God, serving Him, serving Him, looking to Him, holding faithful to Him, keeping His commands toward us, trusting His Word. Let's keep going. Are you still with me? Say amen. Uh, verse 36 through 39. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, 
Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God of Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your hand. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. See, now their eyes have been opened. Well, what other recourse could you say when you would see such a thing? The Lord, He is God. See, see I believe that, I believe at the point of of when we come to recognize that we're a sinner and that He is God. At that point, when our eyes are open, we've been in darkness. We've been dead in trespasses of sins and we've been made alive and we see Him. I, th I, think, that's, I think that is kind of a response right there. He is, he, is, he is God, the Lord. The Lord, He is God. The recognition of the people. that See, the prophets of Baal prayed for six hours. Nothing happened. Elijah prays 63 words. And the power of God fall, falls. What made Elijah's little prayer have such powerful results? Well, the, the biggest factor, I believe, is, is that Elijah prayed according to the will and the direction of God. He's praying in the will of God uh, for this situation. He's praying in the will of God for his life. He was seeking God to be glorified and not himself. He wanted God, the true God, to be magnified and, and, and revealed. So I believe that our prayers should be directed by the will of God in our lives. Pray the will of God. Pray the will of God. And I always think of, of the example of Jesus Christ, the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's, let's read it in Luke 22, verse 41 through 42. And this is Christ, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. Remember the ones that he left behind and said, watch and pray, watch and pray. And he went ahead about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, it's okay to pray prayers like this, isn't it? Father, if it's your will, please get me out of this situation. Father, if it's your will, heal me. Father, if it's your will, help me through this. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because the Lord God knows what we need. And I've talked about it from time to time. Sometimes what we need is a trial. Sometimes what we need is, is more water thrown on our situation so that we come to the other side of it. We could say without a doubt, truly this was God. Elijah prays. <laughs> not only the sacrifice, and I know you caught it, even the stones and the dust, gone. 
And what about the prophets of Baal? Well, not a happy ending for them. We'll, we'll go ahead and read it. Just verse, verse 40 back in 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and executed them there. Is it a dangerous thing to forsake the true God? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's read a little further. Verse 41 through 46. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink. Now, let me just pause here a moment and just say this. Ahab doesn't go back to his castle or his the, 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 the palace. He, he doesn't go back there. It, it, it seems uh, that he goes to a perhaps a pavilion, perhaps a tent that they had set up for the king to come and observe what was going on because they're not going to take the king out there and set him out in the sun all day. That's not what you did for a king. You, you set up some kind of encampment or something so that he would have a full view of everything that was going on. And it seems to me that that's what happened. Uh, Elijah says, go and eat and drink. And he goes to this, perhaps this spot was made... Uh, for him and go eat and drink and uh, because for there is a sound of abundance of rain <laughs> what, what is Elijah hearing <laughs> there's a sound of a abundance of rain so Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel then he bowed down on the ground put his face between his knees think about that said, I can't do that. On his knees, on the ground, face between his knees. Here's one guy that's gone up to his little pavilion and he's eating and drinking and here's the other guy on his face before the Lord praying. A little difference, isn't there? Huh. So here's Elijah. He's bowed down on the ground. It's He's put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went and looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. He had some pretty good eyes, didn't he? Well, the Lord let him see it. A cloud as the small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Elijah said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Ahab, you better get back to the your, your house, back to your palace, back to whatever he had. Because this rain's coming and that chariot's not going to make it through the mud. That, that's how much rain's coming before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. <laughs> Jezreel. 
Wouldn't you have thought Ahab would have said, come on. Come on, get in the chariot. Let's go. No. no he, he, he takes off. The Lord empowers Elijah, girds up his loins, pulls up his robe where he can run, and he outruns the chariot. Now, granted, perhaps the chariot's getting bogged down a little bit in the mud, but can you imagine that? And, and he makes it to Jezreel. Now, what's going to happen when they get to Jezreel? We're probably going to talk about that next week. Probably going to talk about that next week. God had said the rain would come. Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send on rain, send rain upon the earth. God had promised. God had promised. Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Yet, what did Elijah do? On his knees, face between his knees, and he prayed. God had already promised it. Yet, Elijah prayed. What's I say about prayer? We pray. We pray. We pray. We pray. We pray. We don't lose heart. We pray. He prayed. Can I read some Matthew Henry? Dinner's going to be waiting on us. We're, we're no hurry, right? It's not 12 yet. Here, I thought Matthew Henry puts things pretty good sometimes. And, and here he's talking about this, this, this passage. Elijah put himself into a strange posture. He cast himself down on his knees upon the earth, a token of humility, reverence, and importunity, and put his face between his knees, that is, bowed his head so low that it touched his knees, thus abasing himself in the sense of his own meanness now that God had thus honored him. He ordered his servant to bring him notice as soon as he discerned a cloud arising out of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, which he had a large prospect of from the top of Carmel, as you could look out and see the sea. The sailors of this day called it Cape Carmel. Six times his servant goes to the point of the hill and sees nothing, brings no good news to his master, yet Elijah continues to pray. Will not be diverted so far as to go and see with his own eyes. Did, did you think about that? He's not going to be diverted from what he believes he should be doing, and that's praying. I, I'm not even looking up. But still sends a servant to see if he can discover any hopeful cloud while he keeps his mind close and intent in prayer and abides by it as one who has taken up his father Jacob's resolution. I will not let, let thee go except thou bless me. Note, though the answer of our fervent and believing supplications may not come quickly, yet we must continue instant in prayer and not faint or desist. For at the end it shall speak and not lie. Great blessings often arise from small beginnings. <laughs> Think about that one. Great blessings often arise out of small beginnings. What do you see? What do you see? Well, there's a little cloud, but it's no bigger than a man's hand. But what it produces. Great blessings often arise from small beginnings and showers of plenty from a cloud of a span long. Let us therefore never despise the day of small things, but hope and wait for great things from it 
This was not as a morning cloud which passes away, though Israel's goodness was so, but one that produced a plentiful rain, as in Psalms uh, 68, verse 9. And I, and I didn't put that verse in there, but Psalm 68, 9, there's some verses ahead and, and behind that that were good too. So Elijah gives us a, an example of persistent prayer. Is persistent prayer, fervent prayer, necessary? We, we looked at this several years ago when we went through James. Now, let's, let's go and read James 5, verse 16 through 18, because we got uh, introduced to Elijah back then. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Just talking of a physical healing? Not necessarily so. Could be. But in, but in the context of all this, it, it didn't seem like that was the healing that, that was coming. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then immediately after that, who is mentioned? Elijah. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in, on the land for three years and six months. That's where we get the three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah, a man like us. And I think the reason that's in there, because there were many who thought that, that Elijah perhaps was an angel. That he, that he was something supernatural. Because when Jesus is at, the, is at the Mount of Transfiguration, remember he went with Peter, James, and John. Who did they see? Saw Moses and Elijah. Uh, when, when the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that his son John the Baptist would go before the Lord in the power, the, the spirit and the power of who? Elijah. When Jesus cried out from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Some thought Jesus was calling out to who? Elijah. So you, you may be thinking, well, I'm nothing like Elijah, but, but remember, Elijah was a man. He was like us, a nature like us, same human emotions, liable to the same weaknesses that we have. And we know, we know, we know, many of us know what's coming next week, if that's where we're going next week. That at times, Elijah's feelings overwhelmed him. At times, he suffered from depression. At times, he was afraid. He's like us. Yet, Elijah prayed earnestly. I believe Elijah was praying the will of God, and it came to pass. It had rained for three and a half years. Elijah prayed for it to rain. God honored His promise. God used Elijah as a means by which to accomplish His will. So should, should Elijah be an example for us of persistent prayer? I, I think so. I, I think so. A, a righteous man, a man of prayer, a man receptive to the Word of God, a man who, who will stand fearless and, and stand firm for the Lord and deliver His Word. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that we have in the Lord. Child of God, do you have confidence in the Lord? Yes, yes, yes we do. Now, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything, read this part with me, 
according to His will, He hears us. See, see that's important. That's important. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. When the Lord speaks and makes a promise, we can bank on it, can't we? If I pray the will of God, but often all we pray amiss so that we may for our own pleasure, for our own benefit. We're not praying the will of God. But when we pray the will of God, He hears and He gives us the petitions we're asking for. Now, He will give it in His timing. Amen? It'll be in, in His timing, but He will give it. Elijah prayed seven times for the rain even though God had already promised it, even after He had said, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain, yet He prayed. He prayed, and He prayed persistently. And I guess one of the reasons I'm kind of bringing this up, because and you may have had conversations, maybe you kind of think this at yourself, that many will, will think, well, well, I prayed about it once. I prayed about it once, that's all I need to pray about it. And they have this thought that if I pray about it more and more and more, it's like I don't have faith. I prayed about it. I took it to God. I've talked to people like this. Well, I prayed about it once. It, it, it shows because there are those who will teach that if you do more than that, it, it's like you're dishonoring God. Well, you've prayed to Him. Leave it in His hands. Let Him take care of it. But, but what's the examples that we have from the Word of God? How about Elijah? There's one. Persistent prayer. Keep going, going again. And, and I'm sure most of you know where I'm getting ready to go. Let's go into Luke first, uh, chapter 11. Examples of persistence in prayer, verses 5 through 10. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a... For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he, he will rise. What's this say? Keep knocking. That guy will get out of bed. He may not like it, but he's going to get out of bed. <laughs> he may not get up because he is your friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give you as many as he needs. <laughs> take it, take it all, just quit knocking the door. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In the verb tense, Knock and it will be open to you. Knock. It's, it's in a verb form of knock and keep on knocking. And it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If we are knocking and asking according to what? The will of God. Let's, let's go to, to Luke 18. Luke 18. First eight verses. 
Now this one's a parable. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Always ought to pray. Don't lose heart. Pray. Don't lose heart. Saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard him. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because of this widow, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. What had she done? She kept knocking. She kept coming over and over and over again. Persistent. Persistent. Uh, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, He will, will He really find faith on the earth? Are we faithful and persistent in prayer? Will we knock and keep on knocking? And you see, and then there's others who will say, well, nah, three times, that's your limit. And they get that. Or where do they get that? From Paul. They will go, the thorn in the flesh, how many times did Paul pray? Three times. And here, let's read it. Second uh, Corinthians 12, verse 8 and 9. Because there'll be some say, well, pray, pray three times, three times. That's all Paul prayed. So I'm going to follow Paul. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, and God said, after the third time, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what Paul say, therefore, because of what the Lord has just said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul prayed three times. God refused his request. God said no. And it seems that here Paul ceased praying not because he gave up or or, or he thought it inappropriate to ask God more than three times. He quit praying because he had received an answer. So do do you see that? Pray until you get an answer. Pray until you get an answer. That's what I get from Paul there. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. The answer came. So pray until the answer comes. How often should we pray about something? Until we are confident that we know God has heard and that God has answered. So pray, pray, pray. And I'm going to go back to to what I alluded to earlier. uh, And Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people came and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, so here's the thought that came to me. and, And it was for me to examine myself, my prayer closet, my prayer time. Is my altar broken down? So I put the challenge out there for you. 
They had to repair the altar. Now, we don't have an altar like they had back then. But we have the Holy Spirit in us. And it seems to me that that our heart, uh, uh, that burnt offerings and sacrifices, He does not desire, but He desires a broken and contrite and a humble heart. So how's my heart? Do I need to repair my prayer closet? Do I need to repair the altar of my praise and worship to God? And perhaps that's something you need to ask yourself this morning. And then be persistent in prayer. What have you been praying about? And have you been persistent? Has the Lord given you an answer yet? Keep praying until He does. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your grace and mercy toward us. And give, give You thanks for examples within Your Word that, that, that it seems to me, Lord, without a shadow of a doubt, calls us to persistence in prayer. So Lord, I, I know there are, there are many different things that people have been praying about. And I pray, Father, that, that You would be patient and long-suffering. I pray that, Lord, in Your timing and in Your way, that You would answer persistent prayer. But Lord, we know that your timing is perfect in all things. So help us, Lord, to not lose heart as we're waiting. It may be years, it may be years before an answer will come. But may, may I, may, may we all, Lord, be persistent to continue to come to you. So Lord, help us to, to learn how to pray your will. Uh, teach us, Lord, to, to learn how to pray your word. Pray your promises toward us who believe. So, Father, I ask that you just draw us all close, that we might know you more, that we may all know who you are, and that we would all know our condition before you. So help us, Lord. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.